welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Welcome, <laughs> my children. It is the Album Nerds Podcast. We're getting in touch with the angels this week, but uh, first, I'm Dude, and I got Andy and Don with me. How are you guys doing? Oh, I thought you were going by the Reverend this week, man. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been uh, really awesome. Thanks for pointing out my failure. <laughs> Anytime, buddy. Donald, what's the word, yo? Uh, spirit. I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling okay. the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> now I know that Jesus saved me on the day that he forgave me. Uh, All right. <laughs> <laughs> what is this going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, so here we are. Face three album nerds. Yeah, here we are face to face, a couple of silver spoons. Thank you, Don. <laughs> 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 Hoping to find we're two of a kind. Yes. All right. We're not right. talking about the 80s hit sitcom starring Ricky Schroeder. We're talking about albums here on the Album Nerds podcast. We're also going to be answering a question this episode, as well as at the end of the show, we're going to talk about a special episode that we're going to have next week, and we'll give you a few more details when we get to the end here. But this week, it's all about the angels and beautiful singing voices. That's what I'm talking about! Well, in medieval Christian theology, there were the, the seraphim that were the highest choir of the angelic hierarchy, and they are the caretaker of God's throne, and they continuously sing, holy, holy, holy. That'd get a little annoying, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sounds like you're in hell, man. I mean, we're yeah. talking eternity here, right? And God would be like, bro, can you, can you throw another word in there? I mean... <laughs> Mix it up a little bit, you know? Yeah. So, uh, indeed, some some singers, many uh, that we've talked about on the show before, sound like they are from the heavens. But today, uh, each of us will choose an album from an artist with, uh, I guess, an angelic voice. Yeah, so this is uh, an odd topic yeah, because it's so subjective, right? What's the voice of an angel? So, at first, like, my mind immediately went to, like, divas. Mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, uh, Mariah Carey, even like Sarah McLaughlin, because that in the arms uh, of <laughs> <laughs> maybe the word angel being in one of her songs was uh, yeah, that makes and, sense. Yeah. And then I then I started thinking about soul singers like Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, Luther Vandross, and then Charlotte Church, the teenage opera singer or whatever from the early 2000s and then i started thinking about metal singers and rock singers like dio and even like eddie vetter has a unique voice but some thought it was so special that it could have come from the heavens so there was a i listened to a lot of music a lot of different music that had nothing to do with uh, each other other than uh, looking for great vocals how did you guys do yeah i was all over the map as well i first thought it was gospel I'll mention one gospel record that I came across that I thought was quite excellent by an artist by the name of Sister Rosetta Tharp. The album is called Gospel Train. came out in the mid-1950s. plays like a really mean electric guitar alongside uh, gospel music, which I thought was a pretty cool combination, especially in 1956. Then I went to Soul and R&B, listened to some John Legend, his excellent 2006 record, Once Again. Um, and the thing I almost landed on, and I'm sure you guys are glad I did not, was opera. Uh, I listened to a couple. I like that. <laughs> opera doesn't really have great albums in terms of like traditional album structure. Right. But I did listen to a record that was kind of a compilation by an artist or opera singer named Maria Callas. 
was called La Divina. Came out in 1992. Pretty mind blowing singing, but a little harder to get your your head around. Yeah, I mean, I, I the only reason I would have even approached Charlotte Church is because the name of the album was Voice of an Angel. <laughs> you know, Her last name is literally Church. <laughs> right. It's kind of boastful to call your album that, isn't it? She was like 12 years old. I doubt she picked the title. <laughs> well, um, on episode 148, uh, I think that was something like our parents' record cabinet or something. You guys remember that episode? Yeah, of course. Oh, yes. Well, I did uh, that Elvis Presley gospel album, How Great Thou Art. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention again, I, you know, I just, I love Elvis's voice. My favorite part actually of the, the Boz Lerman film from last year was at the end where there's, it's actually real footage of Elvis singing Unchained Melody live. And it's just, I mean, it's such a moving performance. But uh, for this week, you know, I, again, I was I was flirting with uh, Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, but you are a tease. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, sort of like a, a grandpa sort of pick. Uh, I had I had uh, checked out Andy Williams, uh, who I mainly know from like holiday time, listening to his Christmas music. Uh, but I did find an interesting album from 1973 called Solitaire. Uh, if you get a chance to check that out, I, I highly recommend it. Also thought about Al Green, Call Me, uh, another excellent album from from 1973. Yeah, Al yeah. Green definitely. Uh and he ended up being a, a gospel singer. He ended up becoming a reverend, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He found the Lord. And if loving the Lord is wrong, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be right. All right, it's time that uh, we listen to what we chose. You choo choo choose me. I wonder who we're talking about here, Andy. Was that you? <laughs> give, you give you one guess. It's hard not to move even when he's doing that. There's no rhythm or anything in the background, but I'm already like strutting. And, you know. <laughs> Somehow there is a rhythm even in those little shrieks. Good thing this is an auditory medium. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. All right. So if you haven't guessed, we're talking about Michael Jackson. We're going to discuss specifically his 1979 record, Off the Wall. Why don't we play uh, a little bit of what I would call the most angelic track on the record. There's a little bit of She's Out of My Life. And it cuts like a knife. She's out of my life. <sighs> I just feel the single tear slowly falling down my cheek. <laughs> <laughs> I like the part when he says uh, indecision and cursed pride. <laughs> Cursed pride. <laughs> yeah, he could certainly make it more of a nefarious uh, <laughs> movie villain that way. I like yours, Andy. Uh, all right. So, this is the fifth solo studio album for the singer songwriter from Gary, Indiana. Really, his first solo studio record that he created for himself and that he created the sounds and with the focus on it not sounding like a Jackson 5 record, which is kind of, I don't know, you guys are familiar with the Jackson 5 and that kind of sound they had in the, in the mid 70s there. Yeah, and uh, they also had changed their name to the Jacksons by that point. Good point. They were still recording uh, like that, can you feel it? You know, they still, they had an, a presence. Yeah, where he wasn't, it felt like he wasn't being driven by his family's decisions, mostly his dad. 
for this particular record. His new dad, uh, Quincy Jones, took care of that. Yeah, this is the first record that, that Quincy produced with Michael. Uh, so the first record for Epic. Um, the album would go on to produce four top ten singles, including uh, the first single, Don't Stop, which went to number one. Uh, the first song that MJ wrote for himself. Um, okay, so my three words to describe this record are If Disco Existed in Heaven. Well, that's where it was created, brother. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, this record is from 1979. It definitely has a disco tinge to a lot of the tracks on here. But I didn't find that too distracting. I think the quality is, is so high throughout. It, it makes up for whatever shortcomings you might feel associated with the disco. Yeah, I feel like I've talked a lot. Why don't we play another cut from the record? Here's a little bit of the title track off the wall. Yeah, that that song spoke to me. I, I think this this past week, driving home from from work, you know, leaving the nine to five up on the shelf, you know, and I'm, as I'm grooving <laughs> my way home. Uh, so that song was written by English songwriter uh, Rod Temperton, uh, one of three uh, on the album that that he wrote. Uh, the song was first offered to Karen Carpenter because she was recording a, a solo album uh, around this time. Mm. Uh, but it seems, you know, like uh, a signature Michael song uh, at this point. And it's it's all about getting over troubles. So the the three words I, I chose uh, for the album, uh, I stole from Stephen Holding of Rolling Stone magazine. He used the term disco-fied post-Motown. Mm. I, I, you know, I think that's a, a good way to put it. Um, to me, it kind of feels like the grand finale of the, the 70s. You know, so this is sort of the... You know the end uh, of uh, of disco. I mean, what were there th- three years, four years between this and, and Thriller? And the the difference in sound is is significant. You know that a lot of that that yeah. discoy sound is is gone by 1980, 82, 83. Yeah, yeah, eighty two is when when that album came out. End of eighty two. Uh, I feel like uh, Pyt from from Thriller could have could have been on this album. It had that. Yeah, that's true. This kind of energy that exists here. That stands for pretty young thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it, throughout the show, if I say pretty young things, repeat after me. You have to repeat whatever I say. Okay. Mama say, mama sama makusa. Yeah, and I mean, what, great album. Uh, just you know, I mean, the, you've got the discoy, dancey tracks, and then you, you've got the the ballad thrown in there, and a, a couple of quieter songs. You know, really just showing off his his unique vocal talent. And again, as we're exploring voices, you know, you find that it's it's not just the tone of the the voice. It's not just you know the the pitch or you know singing on key. It's um, it's the vocal control and being able to to use it to emote, you know, to to be quieter and to to move closer to the to the mic and to to back up. You know, I think you're, you know, you're all-time great vocalists, you know, going back to like Sinatra, you know, really, you know, turn uh, you know, the recorded voice into a an instrument and, you know, Michael's mm-hmm. just uh, uh, amazing. Uh and he uses falsetto in a way that's not distracting or obnoxious. Well, that's how he speaks too. That's um <laughs> the the thing, I, and I think, I, I don't know if, if on some of the Jackson 5 or Jackson's albums he did a lot of this, but the uh, Working Day and Night song, you know, there's yeah. a lot of that <laughs> stuff going on, the mouth sound stuff mm-hmm. that he 
continued to build on through future albums uh, to the point where some of the songs on the later albums were based completely on his mouthbeat stuff that he would do underneath mm. as part of the rhythm section. So I think that was kind of the beginning of that too. Oh, wow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that, I don't think that was him. <laughs> I mean, he, uh, yeah, I'm sure he was down with the sickness, but. Uh. Yeah, I, I just go back to what Don was saying about his voice and his, his control, I think, is, is really the thing that impressed me on this record. Uh, he's able to sustain notes that seemingly couldn't, should not be able to sustain, like at, at the end of like a very long section. Um, and he just holds them out beautifully and his range too is also very impressive here like at times his voice sounds very sparse and frail and like on that first track we played there he almost sounds like starts to cry at the end of the track yeah, and his voice cracks a little bit vulnerable they claim yeah. that's real but uh i don't know i'm not so sure <laughs> yeah i saw him do that on stage a few times too i don't yeah. know he always he's a good actor that song it's not on this album but you know that song ben that was about the the little yeah. rat that that one i can't even hear that song and Without crying, <laughs> well, when I yeah, I, that was one of his first solo yeah. ventures. But I think of uh, the song "Rats" by Pearl Jam because Eddie Vedder says the Ben, the two of us, you know, like he uses yeah. the lines from it. So oh. I always thought that was pretty badass. Tie back to Pearl Jam somehow. Of yeah. course. Any Pink Floyd references you want to get in here? Hey, my my childhood obsession of Michael Jackson when I was in elementary school. Ten years later, it was Pearl Jam. <laughs> and actually, yeah. Speaking of Pink Floyd, you know the Off the Wall and the oh, Wall came out in the same year, so they were sort of battling it out. Oh, really? The Battle of the Walls. <laughs> Donald Trump would love that. Anyway, let's play another cut from the record. This is a little bit of Rock with You. And it's uh, backing harmony vocals and stuff. I thought this was an angelic portion of uh, probably the most popular song from the album. Yeah, totally. And I discovered it after Thriller. I I didn't know this existed. I really I was aware of the Jackson 5. I knew my dad hated them. He worked in radio around the time they were really popular, and he had to play them on the po- – you know, and he couldn't stand it. Um, but then we saw hmm. uh, Michael Jackson on Motown 25 – and everybody's opinion changed. Like, I was like, whoa, who's this guy? And my dad was like, hey, that kid isn't annoying anymore. He's awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the three words I used to describe the album are calm before the storm. A few years later, Thriller comes out. Michael Jackson becomes this otherworldly hype machine. The National Enquirer rumor mill starts. And part of what I like about this album is the joy and the humanity. And he hadn't become disconnected with the world the way he became later. Even the album cover. I mean, it looks like just a natural smile. It's nice to see him (laughs) before the plastic surgeries and and stuff. You know, it's nice. I mean, it could just be he was really good at posing after doing it since he was nine years old or whatever. But yeah, the, he looks really happy on the cover. Yeah, right? it, yeah. it's almost weird to see him look that way. <laughs> I think the music was a way to be a different person, the stage person, the person that goes out dancing, the person that's interacting with humans regularly. When really he was treated differently since he was a little kid. 
So I think the, the, the music in this album in particular was an escape from that. And uh, you can hear it. You can hear it. It's very, it's soar, it's soaring. Every song, there's angelic moments where it just, uh, it's just about joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. I think, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's his best album, but um, there's something unique and special about it in the, in the discography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would call this among, some, among my favorites of his, probably, I would agree, maybe it's not his best, but. It does show his range of styles, I think, nicely, and you kind of get a good sense of who he was as an artist. The only critique I could come up with for the record was it's a little bit front-heavy. I think you'd probably say it's about all of MJ's records, or even just pop in general, usually pretty front-loaded with singles. Mm-hmm. Back end sometimes is a little bit loose. I think the back end here is pretty tight. It's a good, it's a good back end. But, uh, that was a, it's from all that moonwalking. <laughs> That's right. Get those glutes tight. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate this for the uh, for the Ain House. I think uh, I think it's a pretty awesome <laughs> pop rock record. So, what do you guys think? I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> Just had to put a little <laughs> little pregnant pause there to build suspense. Um, it's all in my hands. It's all in my hands. Wow. Pretty <laughs> Angelic. Tell it to you, dude. What do you think, man? I feel like this is a foundational piece in his becoming the king of pop that he named himself, which I find annoying. Um, I think I'm going to have to say no, because I think this was just a staging ground for what came next. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a uplifting, cute record, but I, wow. oh my God, I don't think it showcases what he was capable of on Thriller. He incorporated rock and a heavier R&B sound and did the songs like this. There was more variety. I feel huh. like this was kind of one flavor, which was really fun, but. Hmm. Wow. One flavor? Okay. Yeah, like disco, lighthearted, the whole thing kind of feels the same. I don't feel differently during many of the songs. Okay. I mean, I don't know how many entries an artist can have in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, but if I had to choose a Michael Jackson record, this would not be the one. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Feels like a revenge now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I hate to get MJ caught up in her own uh, personal beef here, dude, but... We'll leave it up to the fans, so you can go to uh, albumnerds.com slash discord and our website, albumnerds.com, and cast your vote see if uh, you get off the wall into the Ainhoffs. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. You guessed it. It's the time on the show when we ask ourselves a question. We're talking about voices of angels today, so what's your favorite angel-based thing? Toilet paper, Angel Soft, TV shows, movies, songs, dust. <laughs> dust. That could also be the name of an album. By Faith No More. Discuss. Favorite Angel things. My first thing I thought of was Angels and Demons, the uh, book by was it Dan Brown mm, mm-hmm. and movie. Uh, the, that's the, the Da Vinci Code, Code guy. Stuff, right? Yeah, sequel to that. Didn't care for that too much, though. Um, then I thought of Angels in the Outfield, which I thought was... <laughs> Did you like that as a kid? 
I did like it as a kid, and then I watched it like maybe 15 years ago, and I thought it was just terrible. <laughs> terrible schlock. Then I thought of the Keanu Reeves movie, Constantine, mm. which I feel like is a very underrated movie, though I haven't seen it in a while. But I remember really liking that when that came out. Do you guys remember that yeah. film at all? Yeah, it was, it was cool. It was based yeah. on a DC comic book character, I think. Is it a comic? I believe so. And there was a show with about Constantine, different actor, of course, that uh, I think failed. But yeah, I, 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 I believe that's a DC cart, like a comic book character. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, that fits in just because, uh, isn't he, is he part angel or something? I think he is. Yeah. He's like hunting, hunting demons. Those damn uh, demons. Freaking demons. Yeah, yeah well, uh, you know, everyone else got to wear an orange vest, so Constantine knows who not to kill. <laughs> uh, how about you, Don? Uh, well, I thought of a lot of things. Uh, first, I mean, you mentioned angels in the outfield, so I just thought of the, the Los Angeles angels or Anaheim angels or California angels, all the, uh, the names they've, they've been. Um, but right now, I mean, they're not my favorite team, but, you know, they have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, and I just really want those guys to make the postseason because they, you know, they haven't yet. But I, I thought of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, which, of course, has the the angel Clarence who needs to earn his wings to show George Bailey, oh, yeah. you know, that It's a Wonderful Life. But actually, I, I thought of a, a film. It's called Wings of Desire, a foreign film, uh, German, done by Wim Wenders. Really arty film. Actually has uh, Nick Cave is in it. But do, do you remember the... Um, Remember the stupid 90s movie with like Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan, City of Angels? That was like a sort of a American commercial remake or, uh, of that, that film. Oh, and the rise of the Goo Goo Dolls oh, to God. heights uh, up to the heavens themselves. Yeah. So, uh, um, but yeah, that, that, that Wings of Desire film is really, uh, is really something you, uh, to watch. Check that hmm. out check that out yeah when everything seems to be broken i just want you to know who oh i am oh my gosh dude for me the first thing i thought of was uh, a line from a black crow's song thorn in my pride and it's angels devils thorn in my pride i thought you were gonna say she talks to angels that's like the obvious that pick. song's lame <laughs> that's the obvious one come on <laughs> she talks to angels <laughs> so commercial <laughs> After your Goo Goo Dolls tirade, here we go. <laughs> I watch so many shows and movies about the supernatural, and I've learned a lot of you know cherubim, seraphim, lore about angels and uh, Nephilim, the children of angels and mortals. So I have all this lore in my head whenever I think about angels um, from just too many books, movies, and TV shows like 17 seasons of supernatural or whatever that are it's all <laughs> oh my in my gosh. head and they pulled they pulled stuff from from christian beliefs about angels from uh judaism from all sorts of different religions and lore so there's so many uh, there's just a, a ton of uh, interesting little i wouldn't say factoids <laughs> but uh <laughs> theories let's say so what about y'all favorite angel based things let us know albumnerds.com slash discord our dream had come true she sleeps in the sand she was a folk singer (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) okay well my pick for a a voice uh, of an angel is judy collins Uh, and this is the album called wildflowers released uh, in october of 1967 here's a, a hit song from that record called both sides now. Both sides now from open 
that plinky guitar or whatever uh, just made me think of the Partridge family quite a bit. <laughs> Boy, here we go. <laughs> uh, so Both Sides Now is uh, a song written by Joni Mitchell. Collins recorded it a, a year before Joni Mitchell did. Uh, she also does did that with uh, the three Leonard Cohen songs that are that are on the album. She recorded those before uh, he got around to it. Come on, Judy, that's not very angelic. That's how these folk people do it, man. Just passing it around like a, yeah. like whatever you might pass around. <laughs> 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 so I, I've always loved that both sides now song. It's you know her voice is really beautiful and, and vulnerable. It's one of the rare occasions where I actually you know prefer somebody else's version to the the original uh, songwriter. You know I, I just think Judy Collins does a you know a, a beautiful job with it. Uh, so this is the the sixth studio album by Judy Collins, born Judith Marjorie Collins in 1939 in Seattle, Washington. Uh, this is actually her first album to, to contain originals. She has, uh, three songs on here that she, she penned herself. But, you know, as Collins ended up doing in her career, uh, she, you know, brings attention to, to some up and coming songwriters. So you have two songs from Joni Mitchell and three from Leonard Cohen. You know, she's also, you know, on other records done Randy Newman tracks and, and Bob Dylan. Um, and that's just, you know, I mean, that's typical, I, I think, of, of folk albums. Well, it's the oral tradition, yeah. the storytelling. The, you know, passing things from from troubadour to troubadour. Wow, that was beautiful. Uh, so the the three <laughs> words uh, I chose to describe the album are sweet, sour, enunciation. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, her voice is sweet. You know, some of the songs are sweet, but there's also, there's a, there's a sourness. There's, there's sadness and, and, and some darkness, um, in particularly in those, those Leonard Cohen songs. And I said enunciation just because, I mean, you can hear every word. You know, she's got, you know, great diction. Yeah. Even, even the French <laughs> song, you know, I can, I can pick out those, those phrases, uh, in there. So. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's hear another cut. This is a, a Leonard Cohen song. Hey, that's no way to say goodbye. Yeah, her. Uh, I thought her vocals were really on display there. It sounds angelic, and the way that she's doing the harmonies with herself reminded me like of a richer version of whatever Patricia Rhombus or whatever that that lady was we talked about Linda um, Patricia or- Rhombus wow <laughs> parallelograms or something yes <laughs> What was her name? Perhox? Yeah, per- Linda Perhox. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what I said. Uh, uh, yeah. So the three words I used to describe this album are, where's the loot? As I stated by saying troubadour, and, and I've been reading some Witcher books too, so I really have that that storyteller, folk singy thing in my head, and it's just her voice is so clear like don was saying that storytelling and details and all of that that was in that tradition of of story of folk storytelling through song uh, she really had so much emotion in in the way that things were said and it was so crystal clear that uh it's like a whole different medium really of music it's it's unique in that way um like a minstrel of yore i remember on her 1979 album, they had uh, and it was in the bargain bin at this 
this discount store chain that used to be in my town when I was a little kid, and you could see part of her butt on the back, and I remember staring at that album quite a bit. So <laughs> nice. That's that was my main Judy Collins memory was going to the store with my parents and be like, I'm gonna look at the records and knowing right where that one was. <laughs> uh, which record is that? Googling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that I mean, uh I was familiar with the the Leonard Cohen version. Uh in fact I the first Leonard Cohen album is is one I've been, you know, meaning to to do on this this show a, a lot. Yeah, I mean that's another one where she really, you know, makes that song something special. You know, it really becomes beautiful with with her voice. Yeah, I mean, it's about the love and loss and saying goodbye to someone you care about. And that's Leonard Cohen, you know, all over the place. But the, the, <laughs> the sadness, the mournfulness in this is uh, something I don't think his voice is capable of. I mean, he's capable of the moroseness part of it, but I feel like she was able to hit a couple other colors. Okay, well, let's uh, let's hear another one. Here, This is uh, La Chanson des Vieux Amants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, really? I, think, I think Andy picked that song just to trip you up because he always gets stuck with the foreign stuff. He just nah. kicked his ass. Nah, that translates to the song of old lovers. And I really gets me hankering for some French fries, some French toast. I think she said Gerard Depardieu in there. Gerard Depardieu. Sorry. About Pepe Le Pew in there, I'm pretty sure as well. Yeah. I really like that track. I'm not really sure what it's about. I think what struck out to me about that song in particular was she's a little bit lower in her range there than she is on the rest of the record. And her voice just sounds very powerful on that song. Like she really sounds like she could just let loose at any second. So my three words to describe this record are fairly tame, but pretty flowers. Not quite wildflowers, but I did enjoy this record more than I expected to. And like so many of Don's picks, Given some time to let it sink in and breathe a little bit, it did grow on me. To water it, yes. give it some sunshine, and let it grow. Uh-huh. Let it grow. I guess my biggest critique or the thing I found least interesting about it is on some of the tracks, she really stays up in this very ethereal, which definitely fits the theme, but very high range of her voice. And I just wish she moved around a little bit more. It seems like she has a very powerful voice and you know, obviously a very you know, excellent singer, but... She stays up in this high range a lot, and sometimes I found that to be a little bit mundane or just feel a little bit re- repetitive to me. But I was very pleasantly surprised by the track Priest, the fourth track, which is like, it's like this very dark song about, uh, I think someone passing away and kind of honoring them. It almost feels like a funeral dirge or something like that. I, I really found that track to stand out and be very interesting. If more of the record was like that, I probably would give this like a, a really high review. But I, I did overall find this pretty pretty enjoyable. Yeah. So that uh, that priest track uh, is also one of the the Leonard Cohen songs. That's not that's mm. one I'm not sure. I I couldn't find a, a Leonard Cohen recording of it other than a, a live thing. So I don't know if that actually ends up on a uh, on a Cohen studio album. But again, you know, I. Uh, I guess what I, what I appreciate about this album the, the most is like, even though the arrangements are, um, you know, it's sort of that, that classical 
uh, you know, style that, that often accompanies folk records at, at that time. And her voice is very pretty and clear, but it's still not, it's not exactly easy listening music, you know, so because of songs like, like priests, um, you know, there is, you know, sort of a, an edge to it, which, which I enjoy. Okay. Well, so that was Wild Flowers by Judy Collins. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. Comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4. All right, so yeah, Led Zeppelin. Robert Plant, voice of an angel in my book. One of the most... Uh, ethereal of the rock genre and certainly set a tone for what kind of vocals were used and acceptable coming up in hard rock and heavy metal. I, I do believe that his voice was the inspiration for why Rob Halford and, and other artists were able to have success with that you know higher tone and have it be accepted as a manly. So why don't we uh, jump into the most angelic of the songs on this album and the most played <laughs> Stairway to Heaven where we'll get a little taste of the brilliance of this 1971 record. I know that song's been played so many times. I wanted to get a part where he's actually really wailing. So, November 8th, 1971, fourth album, kind of called Led Zeppelin IV. It's untitled. Some people call it Zoso. Um, so Jimmy Page was the producer, which I thought he did an incredible job. He captured what each guy does best. Those guys being Jimmy Page on guitar, Robert Plant on vocals, John Paul Jones on bass, and keyboard. I think he also played the mandolin, John Bonham on the drums. And uh, after Led Zeppelin III, which kind of went in a different direction, I think they were looking to rock hard. And they, they kick off the album with Black Dog and Rock and Roll, which are just explosive songs. It's just like slaps you in the face as soon as you put it on. <laughs> and then the Battle of Evermore, which gets that mandolin folky thing going like they did on Led Zeppelin 3. And that kind of brings me to the three words I use to describe the album. Mystical blues rock folkery. Because they brought those folk elements in. They kept, they pumped up the blues rock and it's like the perfect combination of the first two albums and the third. And they started to not to reinterpret the blues as opposed to mimic it uh, on this record, in particular on When the Levee Breaks, which is a straight-up blues cover, but the way that they recorded the drums in this like old hall with uh, stone walls to get the echo effect, the natural echo effect. If you, if you take the source material and you elevate it to the next level, then that's, that's not copying anymore, which they were being accused of. So there's, yeah, it's probably the best, rock record of all time but why don't we um jump into another song so you guys can say some things they better be good <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of misty mountain hop i was like dropping there dude like maybe casually kind of this might be the best rock album of all time 
before, before you played the song. Yeah, well. I think you could be right, perhaps. I think I came up with, like, it's probably the definitive rock record. Like, if you could just have one rock record to summarize them all, perhaps this would be it. Just basically has everything you would want. I mean, you have those two. Well, we talked about this already, but we have those a good variety of songs: blues, hard rock, folky stuff. There's some jams that happen throughout. Um, they switch up the pacing nicely throughout the record, you know. And there's some really interesting songs that I think are maybe a little bit underlooked. There's a, the big hits, obviously. But songs like Misty Mountain Hunt that we just played and Four Sticks, I think, are really compelling when you listen to them closely. My three words, yeah, I guess it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, This is one of the first records I owned on physical media. I've listened to it, I don't know, hundreds of times easily. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic for a reason. I don't really know... <laughs> <laughs> what the critiques to say about it it's pretty great well what about like the subject matter of some of the songs right like misty mountain hop was kind of uh poking a little bit of fun at the hippie way of life you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then also engaging in it so uh, yeah i mean i i think lyrically they they got a little less deep into the tolkien type of stuff yeah it's still here though but yeah there's more social commentary maybe just awareness of their influence on the larger scene at the time i like the the tolkien stuff personally i find that to be i find that they do it in a fairly non-cringy way which is hard to do uh, i thought i could make a deeper meaning out of those songs i mean yeah it's such a great song such a great record all right well why don't we listen to a little bit of four sticks Well, that's one of the few tracks that's not in heavy rotation uh, on classic rock radio stations. So it's called uh, Four Sticks, uh, apparently. They're not referring to the four members' penises, um, as I suspect. <laughs> oh, God. It's, uh, that's what I thought, too, actually. <laughs> nah, see, when I thought sticks, I was thinking legs. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, but no, uh, John Bonham apparently used four drumsticks uh, in, in the song. At the same time? I or? believe so. Hey, that's... Okay. I assume that's what they meant. They said two pairs of drumsticks. So uh, I guess maybe two in each hand. I guess. Maybe he's using his feet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Was it Steph Leopard? <laughs> yeah. And this, uh, as I often like to do, uh, just celebrate the unusual time signature. So that this track <laughs> has some some five, eight and, and six, eight. I, I still don't know how to count those. I, I don't know. I heard somewhere that they, he was getting very frustrated recording this song. And that out of rage he started doing a a drum beat from an old chuck berry song and um that's what became rock and roll they they started jamming off of that and then that song uh, brought in those piano elements that were kind of uh jerry lee lewis and i think that all those that's why it's about been a long time since i rock and roll and it's got those sounds in it but supposedly it's from bonham being pissed off and, and jumping into a different drum beat entirely and it led to another song. And there's also um, uh, another thing in my bread basket. Uh, there's some synthesizer on this this song that uh, John Paul Jones plays. So the, the three words I chose to describe the album are just, uh, God, boring. Uh, four amazing talents, right? Ooh. Um, but four because it's the, the fourth album. You know? Yeah. So you're saying that all four of them were talented musicians. Yes, in their own right. Mm. I'm stroking my beard right now thinking about that. Uh, I mean, I, I think there are plenty of examples of bands that 
maybe individually none of them are amazing at least in terms of musicianship um i think even like the beatles uh in terms of musicianship you wouldn't say that they are necessarily like the best in in their at their crafts but um but these guys i, I think all are you know i mean it's incredible to just have you know these these four guys and uh in one group I, I'm glad we we did this this record um, because I I don't listen to it often probably just because these songs are so so out there and and everywhere so just to, to listen to the whole album you know is is really a, a pleasure and I think you're right I mean it's it's right it is kind of a, a the quintessential rock album it has everything uh, everything that you want um, so what they were doing they weren't trying to be the Beatles which I think is unique to bands at at that time. They were trying to just do what what was coming out naturally, and um, they did so here with a plum. Like it's just it's the more I listen to it, probably thirty times over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm convinced it's the best like rock and roll record of all time. I was actually so I've been driving around listening to this this record, and I, I stopped to get gas, and and rock and roll was was playing as I got out of the car, and this other guy pumping gas like, yeah, Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> so, that doesn't happen to you often, does it? No, like, yeah. eh, Depeche Mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I think I'm just kind of repeating what you guys said, but I I again I really appreciate you know how the album is informed by the blues, but it's just it's not old, you know, it's they're they're giving it new life. It's it's something new. God damn, what a great album! <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna make this easy. I mean, I can't very well say something is the greatest rock record of all time and not uh, <laughs> nominate it for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. So here it is. Cast your votes. Andy, I dare you to take revenge on me. <laughs> oh, I love a good dare. But after calling it the definitive rock record of our time, I probably will have to agree with you on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's classic, dude. It's as classic as classic gets, man. I mean, you wouldn't have classic rock without yeah you know, this record. Yeah, it really does everything you want. So big yes for me. Well, I'm sorry, guys. I'm gonna have to say no doubt about it. It's a uh, it's a hall of fame. All right, so I'm sure the members of Led Zeppelin have had many accolades over their careers, but this is probably the first true honor that has been bestowed upon them. So, <laughs> welcome, Led Zeppelin 4. Voices of Angels. Beautiful singing voices, and, and they come in so many different uh, varieties and genres, and I think that's what I learned the most, was that it's not just opera or just Whitney Houston diva stuff. It, it can come from anywhere. It's just when that voice touches you in your soul and something special is happening, I think you can tell. And, yeah. And that was the point of the exercise. Did you say you were touched by an angel? I would. I'm on the highway to heaven now. <laughs> I would like to to do this theme again, and I'd really like to kind of explore the voice in hip hop. So I remember back when we were listening to the to the Wu Tang records, just 
um, how much a difference it made, you know, when somebody else was, you know, would, would start rapping, you know, like you'd have a voice like like old Dirty Bastard that, you know, just sounded so much different from from the mm. other members of, of the group. Method Man has that very unique breathy delivery. Yeah, and Tone Loke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tone Loke. But, you know, I, so I think even in a uh, in a genre where you're not singing, I, I think the, the voice is probably equally as, as important. So I'd like to, to try that out in the future. Yeah, we could do like a whole voice series of like different genres because I, I would love to dig into more in gospel and opera if we can figure out a way to get into those very dense, not album friendly genres. I think that would be interesting to dig into some other sides of the voice as well. I do think the the voice of an angel can can have different sounds, you know, so we you have that that Robert Plant voice that that kind of paved the way for those those metal voices that that came later. You've got the the Judy Collins kind of folky voice, you know, that actually has kind of gone away. I, I don't hear a lot of people singing like like her anymore. And uh, oh, Michael Michael Jackson, right? And so then you you have those those smoother uh, R and B voices. Well, some might say that uh, Robert Plant's voice and then what became of that that higher vocal style uh, was when the angels fell and became demons. <laughs> and that's one to grow up. All right, boys and girls, got a special treat for you next week on the show. We'll be looking back on one of our album discussions, in particular, talking about the De La Soul record, Three Feet High and Rising, and uh, I think rectifying some wrongs that were done in the past when we uh, did not nominate that for the uh, Album Nerds Hall of Fame. So tune in next week for that special Quantum Leap edition. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Time travel. A quick reminder, don't forget to vote for Michael Jackson's Off the Wild record. It is on the fence, you could say, right now, in terms of being hot floating. <laughs> Go to albumnerds.com slash discord and albumnerds.com to cast your ballots. What do you think of Off the Wall? Is it off the hizzy? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it's not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. This show is off the hizzy, though. Oh, my gosh. Who's your favorite voice of an angel? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at albumnerds. And please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time when we revisit and rectify past wrongs. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next time. Keep on with the force. Don't stop. Don't stop till you get it. Force has got a lot of power, Mickey. <laughs> that was Mickey Jackson, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the lesser known brother. <laughs> it was their mouse. After Ben died, they got a, they got a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>